we got some kung fu to work some of these aggressions out tonight. Tonight, right here on this program, we've got the great kung fu star, Olivier Gruner. That's right, the world's only French kung fu star here tonight in Angeltown. This guy's an exchange student from France who enrolls at USC to take engineering classes, but he never goes to class because he's too busy fighting the Mexican gangs. Actually, the reason he can't go to class is that he can't speak English. I can't believe this. All the kung fu stars in the world, Jackie Chan, Steven Seagal, Shokasugi, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Benny Urquidez, Dolph Lundgren, all these guys and the geniuses at this place buy one of those classic Olivier Gruner movies. Fifteen dead bodies, no breasts, two motor vehicle chases, whole lot of kung fu, frog fu. You saw it here first on Drive-In Theater. This could be the first in a series of one movies for Olivier Gruner, master of the French language. Rated R. Check it out and then I'll be back after the flick. I give it two stars. Rated R, it's got a little bit of curiosity value just for having the French guy in it, too. Do we really need these people? Oh, the French guy comes to America and teaches the impressionable little boy the principles of revenge, taking the law into your own hands, beating on people even after they say, I give up. Remember that guy? And worst of all, skipping classes. Olivier Gruner, you saw his martial arts movie debut right here on Drive-In Theater. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me is the Canadian monkey man himself, the Peter. All correct, all accurate, true, 100%. And it'll be just us tonight because we are recording this on Easter because Peter and I don't care about Easter. But Cecil actually wants to spend time with his family. But guys, if you want to help out the show, we have a Patreon just look up 1201 Beyond over at Patreon, and you can also go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. This, uh, this is a topic you wanted, Peter. We're going to talk about the action movie guys that are not Chuck Norris, not Steven Seagal, and not Jean-Claude Van Damme. That is correct. The direct-to-video, direct-to-TV action dudes from the 90s, such as Michael Dudikoff, you know, Gary Daniels, people like this. The the unsung action guys uh, that not a lot of people talk about, but I'm sure a lot of people have seen the movies of even just by, by accident on TV or have seen them on box art in the video stores in the 90s and, and earlier 2000s. Well, I, I think we can, even, we can even expand it past that. We, have, we obviously have Bruce Lee, who is kind of the granddaddy of all the action guys, if you really break it down. But then there's also stuff like Brandon Lee. I loved Brandon Lee's stuff. Obviously, there's the shame of what happened to Brandon Lee. But you could, we almost got to watch him grow as an actor through The Crow. Because I think The Crow, he is great in that. Both the action oh, and, and the acting. Because I remember when he first showed up on Kung Fu the movie in 1986 as Kwai Chang Kang's 
uh, well, illegitimate doesn't count because it is his son. Because in a way earlier episode, I can't remember if it was season one or season two, Chinese woman raped Kane. He was all drugged up and beat up and she had her way with him. And Chung Wang, Brandon Lee's character in Kung Fu the movie, was born. So 20 years later in continuity, Chung Wang wants revenge on his father. It's so weird that in the Me Too era, is that weird that she raped Kwai Chang Kane? It's it's weird and kind of progressive because you don't always see the guy get raped by the girl. Yeah. And they used it as just a story arc for the vengeance of a son. So it's kind of wild. And also kind of interesting to note that Bruce Lee was originally going to be Kwai Chang Kane. So now we have Bruce Lee's actual legitimate son in the Kung Fu show. Which is kind of weird in itself. Well, th- that whole Bruce Lee was going to be Kung Fu thing, that that story has been misconstrued for many years. Yes, he originally pitched the idea not for Kung Fu, but for what would become Kung Fu. And, for, yeah, a version of it, right. sure. And there, you know, the story has become this, oh, they didn't want, they didn't want a Chinese man. They didn't think he could lead a series. So they had to whitewash it. That's not. I think that kind of is what they, no, sort of is what they did though. Oh, okay. To a degree. Yes. I'm pretty sure that that had to be at least 50 or 60% of it. The the other 40% was, was other stuff. Bruce Lee's wife gave an interview in the nineties where she was talking about this, where she mentioned one of the big obstacles was one Bruce was not fluent in English he did know some English but he wasn't fluent in English and his accent was so thick even when he was speaking English according to her he was borderline unintelligible and you Mm. cannot have a lead on an American TV show who cannot speak fluent English this is what his wife said and obviously Brandon Lee didn't have a you know oh these kung fu guys they stole my dad's show not only was he chung wang in kung fu the movie he was johnny kane in kung fu the next generation the tv pilot that's true so it's like you know if there was all this bad blood because there's that new series coming out on showtime called warrior there's a chance that he did it as a fuck you to the original kung fu guys though no because he did all this stuff with david carradine the man who replaced Mm. his dad that's true carradine was friends with bruce lee's wife and son for many, many mm. years. So I don't think they held this. There's that new TV series, I think it's Showtime, I might be wrong on the channel, called Warrior. It's supposed to be what what Kung Fu was supposed to be before it was stolen from Bruce Lee, and I'm going, f*** you. Yeah, I've been I've been hearing about it. Just f*** you on it's that It's about a Chin- that, like the Chinese immigrant that comes to America, and he's like a super Kung Fu badass and stuff. Yeah, and, and, and it's supposed to be, this is what Kung Fu was supposed to be before it was whitewashed. I'm just going, f*** you but then like you know brandon lee you go legacy of rage all right he's not really all that good in that one i mean it's a fine he was still finding his his footing yeah you know and then of course there's laser mission do we even need to joke about how bad he is in that one (laughs) because he's pretty bad in that one but then he did rapid fire and that was pretty good but before rapid fire showdown in little tokyo where which is also an excellent movie and where he has really really good chemistry with dolph lundgren showdown in little tokyo i i would think brandon lee would have raised a stink but maybe work was work because mm. he's chinese american plays they a have japanese play, uh, cop he's half in japanese this. in it right 
he's like a half Japanese guy in it, right? Yeah, he's, he's Japanese. He's actually Chinese, but they have him play like a half Japanese dude. How is that not kind of offensive? God damn, dude. It was the late 80s and the early 90s. I was actually watching... Uh, I was doing like a stream, not a stream, but like a Skype thing with my girlfriend and her sister, and she wanted to watch the old Rupert cartoon with us. Like, do you know how freaking racist that show was? They had clearly like white dudes doing doing like this, this voice, and it's like, yeah, I get it. I get why they would make Brandon Lee Japanese instead of Chinese. That's that's mild comparatively to the type of cultural shaming shit they were doing back then. I'm doing a movie with the Rocky Four guy. This is probably going to be pretty good. You know what? All, all these Asian people are just interchangeable. They're all the same thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. It's just like getting a Serbian guy or a Russian guy and having him play a Greek or a Polish person. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you get Rada Sherbije, you have him play Boris the Blade. You know, you have you have a Serbian guy play a Russian. It doesn't matter. In Hollywood, who cares? Get a Jewish guy to play an Italian guy. You know, everybody's the same as long as it's what they're supposed to be on paper. Take a horse and paint it like a cow. It looks different on camera. Well, what about Oliver Grunier? Now, how do you pronounce his goddamn name? Is it Grunner, Grunier? Is it Grunier? I've heard both Grunner and Grunier. I maybe it's like that's that that thing with Christopher Lambert where some yeah. people say and I've heard him say Lambert and I've heard him say Lambert. So you ask yourself, so how do you actually pronounce your name? Are you Christopher Lambert or Christopher Lambert? So it really is it, isn't fair what us what us like uh second language speaking people do because even I've introduced myself as Peter Gadget. When I know full well it's Gagic, I, I think maybe there's there's this inherent feeling of wanting to f*** with you whiteies. You know you're white too, right? <laughs> I'm European white. You're still white. I am still white, yes, but I have I have funny European names, so it makes me a little bit different. Well, Oliver Grunier is how I'm going to say it because we'll he, go with Grunier because you know what that's French, how I've been so. saying it too for years. Yeah, he is. Who is French. also a very excellent unsung action guy who had a great look. And an interesting on-screen vibe that I, I feel like had – he always had sort of a Van Damme appeal to me. Well, the thing with Oliver Grunier is – which you'll, you'll notice in a lot of action guys when they start in action movies is they're not good at the non-action parts. Because, like, if you watch Angel Town, Grunier's first movie, anytime he's not kicking someone in the face, he's f***ing – painful to watch peter he is bad <laughs> at acting in angel town man well because he was cast for the reason of being able to kick people in the face really good and, and looking good with his shirt off and having a pretty face so when it comes to the acting part obviously that's not something he's he's very talented in at, at the moment at that given time see when i think of oliver grunier even though Angel Town is obviously his first one, and I did see that on Drive-In Theater with Joe Bob Briggs back in, I don't know, 91, 92, whatever it was. To me, he's always going to be Alex from Nemesis. And me I was, too. That's that's what I remember him from the most and what I think his most memorable role is. And that's, that's just a great movie overall, and I really I feel like he fit the aesthetic of it very well. Now, on the other hand, let's say the sequels remain the same story-wise, Nemesis 2, 3, and 4. Are you a little ticked off he was not cast in that role? I mean, yes, I yeah. know I know they changed the gender, but I mean, like, let, let's say the character of Alex that, that Oliver moved into that. I don't know if those movies would have worked with him, though, with the scripts that they had. The sequels were honestly weak, if you ask me. Like, I think oh, the yeah. first one is the best one. The other ones feel very... 
rushed. They're they're not at nearly as good like science fiction or cyberpunk movies. So I think if if anything, him not being in them is a good thing because they're weak. I mean, he maybe would have made them better, but to me, there's really only one Nemesis movie. What about do you remember? Do you remember the the Canadian TV series he did in 2000, Codename Eternity? Somewhat. I think I've caught a few episodes of that on like space. Because in America, it was first-run syndication, or it might have been Sci-Fi Channel. I don't remember. When we're watching this, and I don't mean to insult Canada, but I went, this is so Canadian. It just has a strange Canadian feel to it. And then, of course, you know, Grunier moved into direct-to-video nonsense. The Circuit 2, The Final Punch, SWAT, Warhead 1, Bizony Boy, The Ultimate Fighter, Lost Warrior, Left Behind, Albion. There's a reason why he did so many of these types of movies. I'm I'm doing a little bit of last-second research. He was actually a volunteer for a commando marine unit, learned how to scuba dive, skydive. Rock climb. He did some uh, French kickboxing as well. And of course, there we go. He was the French middleweight kickboxing champion. So there we go. There, There's his background and why people wanted to cast him as Mr. Action Karate Warrior. Well, how about we go to Ron Marchini? He, he's only made 11 movies that he's acted in. I've only ever seen the two cop ones, Omega Cop and Karate Cop. I, I don't, haven't seen a lot of his, so I'm looking at his other movies. Isn't, aren't those the only ones he made? Oh, no, 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 sorry. I, I have seen Death Machines in 1976. But otherwise, he's in 1983's Dragon Quest, 1985's Ninja Warriors, 1986's Forgotten Warrior, 1986's Jungle Wolf, 1988's Return Fire, 1989's Arctic Warriors, and then 1995's Karate Raider. I literally only know him as the karate cop guy and the Omega exactly. cop guy. And, and I never, I mean, sure, he can do some, some kicks and stuff, but I always found him really, really boring. Like he, he just seems like somebody's dad who takes karate on the weekends. The first female karate champion in the world, Cynthia, Cynthia Rothrock. Rothrock? Now there's somebody who needs to be talked about for multitudes of different reasons. The fact, just the fact that she's a woman that could go toe to toe with a lot of the best male karate champions. And she's been in so many martial arts movies and is there as a, as a rep, as a representation for women to go see an action movie like this where you've got a chick that's kicking ass. And she was really, really good at it too. She got really frustrated with her roles because I guess Hollywood thought, well, you're a, you're a girl. In, in a lot of her early roles, not, not all of them, in a lot of her early roles, she was the sidekick to the main action star and she always had to get rescued at the end and that really pissed her off. Well, she of was course, really frustrated she could... with that. Richard Norton, I think, was the guy that she's in a lot of movies with that dude, like the Australian karate champion guy. And there's a lot to say about that because he says that she's incredibly tough and really strong, really knows like great technique. And this is a guy, and I, I might be wrong about this trivia, but he has, he's beaten Chuck Norris before. This is like a genuine bad motherfucker. And he's, he's giving Cynthia Rothrock major props. This is a guy who's been beat by Chuck Norris, who's like probably one of the toughest men in the world. See, with Cynthia Rothrock, now again, I'm going to go back to what we said before, go to the early stuff. Her Mm. acting is not so great. Like 24 hours to midnight, she's not the most convincing in the non-kicky scenes. What was her second film? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think her like very second role. I know, but to me, what, what I don't like about Cynthia is when she tried to leave action movies. And remember when she was in a whole bunch of comedy direct-to-video movies in the nineties? Oh, oh no, yeah. She needs to avoid comedy. She her timing doesn't work. That you know, comedy requires more acting. I was not a fan of her comedy work she she needs to stick to kicking dudes in the balls it's it's the same way i feel about stallone like when he started doing stop or my mom will shoot and and movies like that like i don't think he fits uh he doesn't have comedic delivery at least he didn't in the 90s and i i really don't think cynthia rothrock did either she works as the stoic badass who can roundhouse kick people in the face that's that's what sells and then I, I'm going to make a little diversion here, okay? Would you consider Eric Roberts one of these guys? Because he made a lot of direct-to-video action stuff, and he, not not every stunt, but really did insist on doing a lot of his own fighting. Like, remember in the Best of the Best movies, you can clearly mm. see that's Eric Roberts doing all Oh, oh yeah, I, I think stuff. Eric Roberts is a, obviously, at least at that time, was a genuine badass, and he really... He had a great uh, physique as well. Like, he clearly trained very hard. So I, I think he counts. And plus, he's been in so many of these, too. Like, so many of these, like, direct-to-video type action movies. He's, I mean, he's done a lot a lot of different genres as far as direct-to-video stuff goes and even, like, theatrical stuff. But I think he belongs here because he is underrated, too. Like, not a lot of people will randomly bring up Eric Roberts or talking about how great Eric Roberts he is. He's constantly been overshadowed by, in my opinion, his far, far less talented, but somehow far more successful sister. And I've, I've always felt like Eric Roberts deserved a lot more credit, especially for his work in the best of the best movies, because those are great. This is where I want to make a quick diversion about Eric Roberts. When I was, when I was just doing a little research last night, he is in, in 2019, 65 films. Gotta keep working. And I'm just thinking, what? the hell it's okay he's he's in the unlikely good samaritan las vegas las vegas vietnam the movie induced effect wait wait las vegas vietnam can we get the uh synopsis for that i got, I got it what the las vegas vietnam las vegas vietnam four gangs rule las vegas black white, asian mexican only one will win or will they in this comedy drama ghost story what he, he his, he's literally credited as just mob boss we need to throw in the, the quote from Big Lebowski with the dude just being, what the f*** does that have to do with Vietnam? Yeah, but he's also in... <laughs> what the hell, man? But he's also in Induced Effect, Billboard, It Wants Blood, The Mermaid, some French TV show called La Renia Del Sur. He's a regular on the TV series Class Act. He's in Six Matches, Exodus of the Prodigal Son, The Debt, Hollywood, W-O-U-L-D, The Savant, Black Bear, 79 Parts, The Immortal Wars, Resurgence, A Karate Christmas Miracle, The Reliant, <laughs> The Girl in the Cellar, Young and Naive, Welcome Home, Pups Alone, A Christmas Peril. I'm going to guess that's a David Dakota one, but I don't know. Nightwalk, oh Deported, Clinton Road, Brutality, 90 Feet from Home, The Downside of Bliss, Inferno by Don. 
Palamo and Swissy, the Windwalker, the Unbreakable Sword, the Fusion, the Evil Inside Her, the Arrangement, Sweet Justice, Someone Dies Tonight, Scrutiny, Running with Fear, Prescience, Night, N-I-T-E, Lone Star Deception, Law of Attraction, Juvie, I-R-L, Hard Luck Love Song, Great Land, Dark Cupid, Bleach, Blackbird, A Soldier's Story 2, Return from the Dead, Alter Ego, Six Rounds of Chloe. Wait, was he in, so was he in A Soldier's Story 1? I don't remember. Girl Games, <laughs> When We Dance, The Music Dies, The Epidemic, Stinger, Dust Nuggets, Monster Lake, Punches Pilot, Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, Can't Go Home, Burnt, Amazon Lost, Jesse the Golden Heart. Seriously, these are all from in 2019. That's more than a movie a week, Peter. That is... Yeah, that's insane. But, I mean, the guy either wants to act or, like, Nicolas Cage owes a lot of debt. But I, I know he's been divorced a few times. I mean, could alimony be that bad? I don't know. Bless him for hustling. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but good. I, I just, I, I'm glad he's still. I mean, he's he still shows up and does memorable roles in movies. I I found him to be uh, a really good character in uh, Uwe Boll's Assault on Wall Street. Uwe, so I think he still has acting ability. Uwe Boll said, unfortunately, that you know, because you know, Uwe pulls no punches. He said he'll never work with Eric again after Assault on Wall Street. He said Eric couldn't remember any of his lines and the entire thing he was reading off cue cards. I don't know if this part is true, but this is what Uwe says on the commentary. Eric completely destroyed his brain on cocaine in the 80s and can't remember anything for more than three seconds. That, that, that's I, Uwe's I mean, story. the thing with Uwe Boll, though, is that he's he, he can be very hyperbolic at times. I doubt it's can't remember anything for three seconds. Like, he'd be a drooling retard if that were the case. What about someone like Don the Dragon Wilson? I, I never found him all that great. Oh, I thought I was the only one. I never did either. I just... There there are a couple guys in this list that I'm just going to kind of go meh. And he's one of them. I just... I mean, I know he could do, like, real stuff, but I never found his, like, on-screen presence to be all that captivating like you know he's definitely not a steve james or a david bradley or a michael dudikoff or even like a i'd say show kasugi counts I was as well bring up show kasugi later yeah yeah he's awesome but oh man don the dragon wilson i i put him in the same same category as, as i do as the um god what's the ultimate weapon guy like tug speedman or some shit jeff speakman i think is his I name jeff, i always I found jeff him speakman stupidly too, boring yeah. too yeah, I hate that guy. I always found him really generic. He always looked like uh the, the co-host from from Home Improvement, Al Borland, but he has his, has his like two karate sticks. Like I never liked that guy. It's apparently he's a douchebag in real life too, so I don't really care. Nah. Yeah, I just I never got into him except for I did enjoy his two cyberpunk movies he made with Roger Corman in the '90s, Future Kick mm. and Cyber Tracker. But then I'm also a Those sucker for cyberpunk, fun. so. Those were fun, but not because of him. I mean, Cyber Tracker is just a cool, like, Terminator, Robocop knockoff kind of movie. So it's fun for that merit. Future Kick is sort of Johnny Mnemonic on a Roger Corman budget. But otherwise, you know, he did stuff like the Blood Fist movies. Never got into those. I actually didn't remember he was in Zombie 4, After Death. I had forgotten he oh was in Oh my god, there. he is. Yeah, he's Tommy. I did for... Even in big budget stuff, born on the 4th of July, he's in that. I guess he's not recognizable if he's not really kicking anybody. You know, Delta Force 2, I remember seeing the Delta Force sequels. 
I couldn't tell you the plot of a single one of them. I know I've seen <laughs> two, three, and there might be a four. I don't remember. But, man, I just, no. I don't remember <laughs> any of those. You know what I mean? But then you you brought up Jeff Speakman. I've never gotten into Jeff Speakman, man. I, I don't understand. I mean, and then you, when you hear about about him with uh, William Lustig and stuff, guy's got an ego that way outweighs the man's talent. Well, what isn't it like there's a story, I forget which movie it was, where the script called for him to kill the villain of the movie to like throw him off the edge of a building. Perfect weapon and he was the, like, yeah, th- th- that was the Bill Lustig one where Bill actually yeah. quit because he's like, I know what they're going to do to this in editing. I don't want any part of this. And then it was, uh, it ended up being edited to where he does kill the guy and then Speakman, what, like threatened to, threatened to kill the writer or the, or the editor or something, which is just hilarious irony. Yeah, I think he threatened to, I'll, I'll throw you off of building. Yeah, he's, he sounds like a very virtue signally kind of guy, like, I'm a, I'm just such an amazing person. My character wouldn't, wouldn't kill them. He would stop them in a civil way, just like me in real life, cause I'm so, it's like, shut the f- up dude it's like you're you're and i don't want to like disparage the direct to vhs guys but you're a direct to vhs guy it's do your job people are here to see you kick people and kick them to death and to do sorts all sorts of kicking stuff so just do your thing before we move on to two japanese guys i want to talk about let's go to michael dudikoff because michael dudikoff to me is the ultimate kind of come from come from nowhere thing because he got it yeah he got his role uh, okay he was an extra on enter the ninja so that we're not going to count that but he basically mm. got his part in in american ninja because they loved that sort of their words that james dean sort of you know i don't care about anything kind of look oh he was like weirdly hollywood good looking for a guy in like cheap low budget canon films like he had a very hollywood look to him and he never really did break big. You can kind of tell why he gets way better. But again, we're going to go to the standby because it's the truth. He's mm. not good in American Ninja. I'm not talking the kung, I'm <laughs> no. not talking the stunts. I'm talking the acting stuff. Steve James is running fucking rings around him when it comes to the acting. Oh, he's the, uh, Steve James is definitely a lot more charismatic and likable. I mean, well, he always James is. Steve is James great. is awesome. You you can kind of go, yeah, I can see that this guy was hired cuz he, uh, he's good at the action stuff. You just forgot to actually make sure he was good at the acting stuff too. Again, Dudikoff mm-hmm. gets a lot better. As, you know, I mean, just in the American Ninja series, he's way better in the later movies, not even counting all of his Oh yeah, other he's movies. awesome in uh I I think it's with a Avenging Force that he started to get a lot better. Yeah, it's just because my girlfriend and I watched the 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 four real American Ninja movies all back to back to back mm. recently. It's sort of like watching him grow as an actor. And yeah, I know he's not in three, oh, but yeah. he does come back in four. Well, yeah, he gets much better with you know American Ninja Two, the confrontation, then with Platoon Leader, River of Death. River of Death River is Death. actually yeah, I liked that one. That's a really good one. That's a nice, like, uh, Indiana Jonesy kind of knockoff movie. And he, he's very good as the kind of downtrodden, sort of alcoholic, you know, non-shaven faced sort of lead. And he's very good in it. He actually delivers some really good acting in that movie. And it's a cool movie too, premise wise. It's got Nazis and science experiments and, and old Aztec type stuff. It's a cool movie. And I think kind of an overlooked canon film, especially in the Michael Dudikoff library. I actually think, 
American Ninja 2 is the G.I. Joe movie we never knew we wanted. You tell me that that is not almost a, from the cartoon G.I. Joe, that that is not a G.I. Joe movie. Oh, it absolutely is. You, you've got commandos, you've got ninjas, you've you got have all terrorist the invasions. Side characters with weird accents for oh, no yeah, reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because ninjas wear like blue and red and stuff. Well, you of course. You've got color code these things, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. You gotta know which ninja is but which. I, I really, as I was watching it, I was just like, this is a G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> it just, it isn't G.I. No, Joe. No, I agree. It's a G.I. Joe movie, a perfectly, like the, the way a, real uh live action GI Joe movie should be and it's it's fun to pretend that and, it is. I mean he even got so popular at one point. I, I don't think it lasted more than three or four movies, but he had a series called Michael Dudikoff Presents, a direct to video series, movies he was not in. Yes, that's right. He would host, you know, Elvira Joe Bob Briggs style. He would host other action mm. movies he wasn't in. I think it only lasted I I have like three yeah. of the tapes. There there might be more. I don't know if I have them all. To have your own Michael Dudikoff Presents series, that's not bad. That's something that Canon did with him, didn't they? Like they, he was presenting other Canon movies. If it was Canon or not? I think it was Canon. I believe it was Canon. Cause I remember he introduced one that was like a Canon film that was kind of like a post-apocalyptic type movie. Okay, Cause I, I remember it was. And he's wearing like all okay. denim. <laughs> well, let's, let's stick with the whole ninja thing for a moment. Shokasugi. Shokasugi. Oh yeah. I think is one of those stalwart guys that never got the credit, possibly because he was, you know, unlike a lot of these people, they, their faces were out there. Don the Dragon Wilson, Jeff Speakman, all these people. Shokasugi was almost always hidden behind a mask. He was always playing, stereotypically, a ninja. Or behind a Van Damme. You literally didn't see his face in a lot of his movies. Oh, yeah, he played the... Usually played ninjas, and he played ninjas very well. But that means that we only kind of, kind of got to see his eyes. And to his credit, his his eyes are very unique and menacing and intense looking. But he, like, one thing that annoys me when people talk about movies that he's in, and this one comes up a lot, especially on some pages that I follow on Facebook and stuff. Like, there's a lot of people that praise the '88 film Black Eagle, but they always praise it. As a Van Damme movie, and it makes me think, like, did you guys even see the movie? Like, Van Damme is barely in it, barely talks, and he gets eaten by a fucking shark. This is a Shokasugi action movie. Like, he's the star of the film. Yet, go and look at every poster for the film. The biggest thing on the poster is Van Damme's arm and his face. You don't even see Shokasugi on most of the posters. So I think that in itself is also a problem with the way he was marketed, because I don't think they believed that he could he could promote the movie as well as his co-star could. So they would make the co-star the star of the poster. So it's not only just hiding him behind a mask, but it was also, this is actually a Van Damme movie. It's not actually a Shokasugi movie, or this is actually, a, well, I guess in the case of Enter the Ninja, it was more of a Franco yeah, Nero he, movie. He was not the but star. That's yeah, neither Franco here nor Nero there. was the star of Enter the Ninja. He was the star of Enter the Ninja, Whereas yeah. when you get to Revenge... But I think in, in a lot of cases, it is them kind of, like he's even top build in Black in Black Eagle. He's top build over Van Damme, but every advertisement for Black Eagle is showboating Jean Claude Van Damme, which I think that in itself is a very big problem for show. And then you combine that with the fact that he's that he's usually just playing a ninja. Like he's in a lot of movies with ninja in the title, so you, you don't really remember his face too much, which sucks because Shokasugi is awesome. He's got really good charisma. He's got great screen presence. He's got a great look. I feel like he should have kind of been the next sort of Bruce Lee type, like, you know, the 
the stoic sort of badass and that never really happened too much which which is unfortunate because he's awesome well and but then he also not just did the enter the ninja revenge of the ninja ninja 3 and ninja 3 is one of my all-time favorite movies but but he was also in the master he was the villain in that Lee, lee van cleef just miraculously loses his beer gut and 40 pounds every time there's an action scene <laughs> the, the the master i think the master strangely enough is more famous for being on mystery science theater 3000 than it actually is for this was not a terrible show in 1984 it wasn't good but yeah. it was not awful i mean show kasugi was on a mainstream nbc tv show that's mm-hmm. not a bad deal when you've only made – I'm not going to count, like, his uncredited cameo in the Bad News Bears Go to Japan. When you've only made two <laughs> movies at this point, getting your own TV show, even if you're the villain in a mask all the time, not a bad deal. That's still pretty good, yeah. But then, see, I'm always going to remember him for two movies. Either Pray for Death, which I couldn't believe how freaking gory Pray for Death was. That movie would be a double NC-17 nowadays. I can't believe Mm. how much blood is in Pray for Death. Nine Deaths of the Ninja. And unfortunately... That is such a fun movie. But unfortunately, not for show. Blackie, Mm. Anthony Kiedis' dad, is he steals this movie as the vaguely Nazi-esque, maybe German, that accent of his is almost unidentifiable. <laughs> I am a de blackie! I am a de villain! I don't know what the <laughs> f*** he was doing. He steals the movie, and I don't think he was meant to. No, of course not. It was meant to be a, a Shokasugi vehicle. But I mean, I think overall, that's a really, really fun, very drive-in sort of movie. Like, this is the kind of movie you would expect to see at that time. Not even just the aesthetic of the film itself, but the title is is very much akin to that sort of thing. But yeah, Shokasugi really deserves a, a lot more love. My personal favorite has always been Enter the... Or not Enter the Ninja. Um, well, I guess both of them. Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja are both my favorites because as a kid, I was a huge fan of the Sega Genesis Shinobi games. So when I saw, like, I didn't even know what Canon Films was yet. I was like seven, seven years old. And I saw that on the shelf and I begged my parents to let me rent it because it was like, it's Shinobi. It's a Shinobi movie. And so I watched, I watched them back to back. They were so violent. My parents were so pissed off for letting me rent it. But I was so excited because I, it, it felt like watching a Shinobi film. Well, but then there's the, then there's the other guy we cannot not talk about. The, the mm. Grandmaster. Someone who I think might actually have done more for cinema than Bruce Lee. Yes, Bruce Lee is got, you know, cut short because he got killed, but I think Sonny Chiba. Oh yeah. I, oh, I absolutely. Think, well, cause, okay, Bruce Lee had a certain, had a certain charisma to him, but Sonny Chiba owned the screen. The man oozed charisma in his movies. So I, I'm not trying to be insulting to Bruce Lee, but I think Sonny Chiba is always kind of second in line, and I don't think that's fair. I think it's not right to look at him as second line. I like to look at I like to look at Sonny Chiba as the second coming. I feel like he truly is the predecessor to Bruce no, Lee. No, he like predated the... Bruce Lee. Sonny Chiba's been Did making he? movies since the freaking sixties. His first oh. his, Sonny Chiba's first role was in a 1959 TV show. So, so no. he he feels so like ahead of his time that I forget that he's not just like a seventies guy. Yeah, Sonny Chiba predates Bruce Lee's career. That's why mm. I was always so pissed off that Bruce Lee. I don't mean unfairly, but got all the spotlight. Well, Sonny Chiba was just grindhouse kind of movies. 
But they were really cool grindhouse kind of movies, though, like some of the most memorable ones. I mean, The Street Fighter is going to forever be one of my favorite movies ever made. I remember just being floored the first time I saw that movie when I was about 14, 15 years old. And since then has has been one of my favorite movies ever, ever to watch. And he's just so charismatic and so intense. His expressions are, are amazing. And just his how he's like bigger than everybody, too. Like he just seems to command the screen in this way that he feels like he's like 60 feet tall just when he's destroying people. He's awesome. And I, okay, I, I always confuse this. Is it Street Fighter or Return of the Street Fighter where he rips a rapist nutsack off? That's the first that's one. The, that's that's Street the Street Fighter. Fighter. Okay. He just crashes in through a window and th- there happens to be some dude raping a chick. And this has nothing to do with the plot. And he just rips the dude's balls off. Which is awesome. Also of note, the Street Fighter is like his 20th film, which is the first one most Americans will know him from. He'd been making movies in Japan years prior to that. To me, the Street Fighter also, it solidified basically Mortal Kombat. Remember the, the x-ray scenes where he'd like punch a dude in the face and then it would go to like an animated x-ray of him cracking mm. the guy's skull and pushing his brain out the back? That's, well, yeah, that's that straight was, up um, Mortal Kombat finishing move shit. That was originally from the Street Fighter, yeah, and then it would later be in Ricky O and then several other things would kind of borrow from that like other anime stuff like Fist of the North Star would kind of do the x-ray stuff and then later on, of course, we'd see it in the later Mortal Kombat games, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain that it originated in the Street Fighter. I don't remember it from anything else. Yeah, I can't say 100% it's from Street Fighter, but that's the first time I ever saw that in an, in an action movie. And you got to remember... That's the earliest movie I ever saw it in, and it's so cool. Like, it's such a cool way to emphasize, like, just how f***ed up that guy got. And you got to remember, the Street Fighter, this is 1974, mainly a grindhouse circuit kind of thing, even though it was released by Warner Brothers. But remember, you know, they were... Mm. They were releasing Grindhouse movies at that point. The Street Fighter was the first movie to ever be given an X rating for violence. The movie was so violent, it got an X rating. That had never happened before, Peter. Oh, it's a brutal film. It absolutely deserves it. But then you've got, you know, his other movies. I mean, he's done so much American stuff as well as his Japanese stuff. I will always remember. Now, it's a great movie, so I'm not bitching about the movie. The 1980 movie Virus, the American-Japanese co-production. Three, three and a half hour movie and the complete director's cut, which, you know, in America was cut down to, you know, 90 minutes. But I was so excited as a kid renting this, Sonny Chiba's names. I'm like, Sonny Chiba movie! He plays a scientist in this movie. It's a post-apocalyptic viral outbreak movie. Sonny Chiba plays a scientist, doesn't kick one guy. <laughs> I'm glad the guy was branching out, but that's not what I rent a Sonny Chiba movie for. Well, yeah, you you rent it to watch him just mess somebody up. You also, and I I don't know, maybe maybe this is a rights issue thing. I'm not sure about this. So you had the the three Street Fighter movies, and then you had the sister Street Fighter movies, which are very clearly a spinoff, right? Right. And Sonny Chiba is in the first sister Street Fighter movie, but he's not playing his character from the Street Fighter movies. And you're scratching your head going, what? So this is an actual spinoff of this, and you have Sonny Chiba in this, but he's not playing Katuma? Yeah, that, that's weird. That's an odd choice. Like, you could very easily just have him play the same character. Well, like I said, maybe there was some sort of a rights <laughs> issue thing. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. And if you've got the same actor, why not just have him play the same character? It's weird. But I'll always remember him from more, I mean, obviously from the Street Fighter movies. Remember all the 90s direct-to-video stuff he did? Now, I'm not going to call it Drek, although there's a few Dreks in here. F*** you, Immortal Kombat. <laughs> Immortal Kombat is Oh, the, the Roddy Piper yes. uh Malibu from, oh, I love that movie. But It's so stupid. He's really good as the bad guy in Body Count, where he's like a gang lord who has an oddly multicultural gang, you know, where Brigitte Nielsen's one of his enforcers, and he's oddly cruel in that movie. Or remember Aces, Iron Eagle 3. Unfortunately, nowadays, most people, they know him from Kill Bill, where, let's face it, he's fine, but he doesn't do anything in Kill Bill. No, he doesn't. He gives uh, he gives her a sword. You know, or, or ooh, the the unloved Fast and the Furious movie. Ooh, he's in Tokyo Drift. The the Fast and the Furious ooh. movie nobody remembers. Let, let's also talk about. I want to talk about one of the lamer action guys. No, I I I've, I've enjoyed a lot of this guy's movies, but he's never been as good as he thinks he is. Lorenzo Lamas. He did what would eventually be the basis for Face Off. He did a Face Off movie. He also, he also um, did all three of the Snake Eater movies, which, which are basically Snake Eater movies, which, which are, are basically which are so stupid. Like they're not, they're really not that no, good. They're, they're I've, not, I've never considered Lorenzo Lamas to be all that great. The, the Snake Eater movies, I look at as, hey, <clears> we can do the Punisher on film, and we can do it really badly. <laughs> because I mean, Lorenzo Lamas comes from soap operas. The primetime soap he does. operas, you can Falcon's tell. Crest, and Falcon Crest and stuff like that. He used to do those primetime soap operas. And then he moved into direct-to-video, and he thought he was like a karate guy. I don't know if karate was his actual thing, but, you know, like a an action guy. I, he does. He he does have uh, a background in karate and stuff. You know, I mean, he did the, the CIA codename Alexia movies. Do you remember his horrendously plagiarized TV series, The Immortal, from 2000? No, I don't. He wears a trench coat, has long hair, carries a sword, and it's about a race of immortals that hunt each other oh. down and can only die with their heads being cut off. Oh, God damn I'm it. I'm not joking. I, I think the... It's literally plagiaristic of Highlander. I don't know if lawsuits happened, but I know they were <laughs> threat, and the show was quickly canceled. Like, I don't want to dog on Lorenzo Lamas too much, because... Because he did star in one of my sort of, at least I consider it to be one of the most memorable direct-to-video sort of bad movies, especially because it reminds me of another unintentionally bad movie that I that I like a lot, which is Face Off. And it's the film, I believe it's from 96, called Mask of Death. There's a criminal that dies that looks similar to him, and he has his face put onto his face, and then he goes and lives that guy's life and tries to find out more information about the crime syndicate. So it's it's basically Face Off before face-off happened and it's it's hilariously bad like it's worth checking out just for that so i don't i don't like dogging on lorenzo lamas too much because there are movies of his i've enjoyed but i do consider him to be pretty weak compared to a lot of the other guys i do remember that there was i can't remember what the title was but there was a lorenzo lamas movie where he fought a giant shark you know and you remember that era in the early 2000s when giant shark movies were the were the direct-to-video and tv movie go-to even lamas did one yeah i'm sure he did uh i'm i'm deadly sure that he did something like that but yeah david bradley i like david bradley and i don't want to 
Can we talk about how weird it is that he kind of like he disappeared? A lot, a lot of these like people... pictures, even pictures of him on the internet that claim to be recent ones are like a random picture of some old dude, and it clearly isn't him. Maybe he just got sick of it and wanted to drop out. We actually hear that. Maybe he did a lot. Actually, he has a movie credited right above his last film in 1997. It's called Force of Steel, and it has an IMDb credit. But there's nothing. There's no information. All it says is that it stars David Bradley. And this is weird to me because this is a guy who is kind of like the predecessor to Michael Dudikoff. He sort of took over the American Ninja films. And I really liked American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt. Um, I felt like he was underutilized in the fourth one. And then he started doing his own sort of his own stuff. He did American Samurai, which was cool. He did Cyborg Cop, which I thought was really, really memorable. That one has like some really nice like gore and cyborg effects and it has a oh the ending to that one is just awesome he decapitates a cyborg with a fucking dirt bike like that's awesome and he went off to do so many other like just random canon type films or movies for canon he did the sequel to cyborg cop 2 as well he did blood warriors all these like random actiony type movies and he he had this sort of I've always thought of it to be like a mix of Tom Cruise and Sylvester Stallone like the appeal of sort of the two of them in a in a weird way and then he just poof Vanished. What's weird to me is that even the guys who, who just don't really do it anymore, they still have kind of an online presence. Like Michael Dudikoff has an active Facebook account. He takes he takes pictures of himself on vacation and and doing other stuff. Even um King of the Kickbox Lauren Lauren Avedon, who did like King of the Kickboxers and No Retreat No Surrender three and just a lot of No Retreat No Surrender movies like that are sequels to other movies and then called other stuff. And he's definitely not one of the more well known direct to video action guys, and he's very good. I've always really liked Lauren Avedon. I I think he has a very good charisma to him, but he's about the same at least like relevance wise is somebody like David Bradley. And he has, he has an active social media account. He has Facebook. He talks to his fans and stuff, but David Bradley, it's really hard to find him and get a hold of him. I would actually love it if we could at some point interview the guy. Cause I'd love to know what the fuck happened after 1997. What happened is he probably got sick of the movie business. Cause like the mm-hmm. behind the scenes story of American Ninja four apparently hurt him bad. I don't mean I don't mean physically because you know he Michael Dudikoff didn't come back for American Ninja Three so for American we we got to do an American Ninja retro at some point but oh we absolutely but, do there's so much craziness to do with that one but if so Michael Dudikoff was like nah I'm not doing this I think he was doing Avenging Force at that time don't quote me on that part mm-hmm. because I don't know if that lines up but he was doing something else at that time so then David Bradley sort of became the new American Ninja well then we're getting ready for the fourth one the story goes now this is hearsay the story goes dudikoff was pissed off that he saw bradley as sort of overtaking him in this realm and he was like oh Oh, i'll come back for american ninja 4 and of course canon's gonna go well yeah the guy from the first two were absolutely gonna have him back but but there were stipulations i'll only come back right my character gets more screen time than his character and my character rescues him. Yeah, that was, I remember that. That's like really shoehorned in. That did happen. Yeah, David Bradley probably, that was probably his first real Hollywood ego battle kind of thing. And then David Bradley. Yeah, here, look at this. This was, this was taken from an interview with David Bradley. He claims that he had, uh, the producers had lobbied to have his and Michael Dudikoff's characters work in tandem throughout the film. 
but his efforts were frustrated when Dudikoff agreed to appear only to the condition that his character would save the day on his own and clearly be shown to be the superior fighter. So originally it was going to be the two of them working together as like equal badasses, and then Michael Dudikoff's ego got ahead of him. Yeah. That sucks. That sucks to to know that Dudikoff did that. I mean, I know a lot of these guys when they were in, you know, in the 80s and the early 90s and they were younger and more in their prime, they were a lot more ego driven. I mean, this can this can also be said about uh, the likes of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. It's just unfortunate to see that because for one, it was like David Bradley's like second or third movie. And Michael Dudikoff had, had done stuff, and he could have easily been a mentor for the guy, but instead decided to be a dick. And I think that's unfortunate. Which also makes it weird how David Bradley is also an Ameri- in American Ninja 5, but he's not yeah. playing the character he played in American Ninja 3 and 4. Because American that's Ninja 5... That's because I'm pretty sure American Ninja 5 is just an American Ninja movie by name. Yeah, it, it was a different movie. I don't remember off the top of my head what it was called. The canon was like, you know what, because the canon's going out of business at this point. They're like, probably going to make a lot more money as American Ninja 5. It's weird when you watch it when it's sort of like the Sonny Chiba thing with the Sister Street Fighter movies. He's basically the same character. Why does the character have a different name, though? Yeah, it's stupid. They easily could have just done some, like, rewrites. Although the decision, yeah, the, you would the think, decision but it's, probably it's wasn't canon. made It was until, canon during its last legs. But, well, the decision probably wasn't made until the movie was done, and then they just decided, mm. uh, we'll just title this American Ninja 5, not make it as American Ninja 5. So that might yeah. have been done I think your the theory is correct, though. I think he was... David Bradley was sick of the politics. He didn't like, he obviously didn't like being second banana. I mean, who does when they're just starting out? Like, obviously you want to grow as your own actor and as your own performer. So it kind of sucks being in the shadow of like, of, of Michael Dudikoff, who is excellent, but David Bradley's great in his own way. I always thought he had very good charisma. He had a great, like, also, much like Michael Dudikoff, a very Hollywood look, very like Swayze-esque hair. Like he perfectly fit that era and he was a legitimate karate guy as well. So I feel like he, he absolutely should have been able to take the reins on his own. He also worked with Steve James in American Ninja 3 and the two of them worked together really well. I kind of wish we would have gotten to talk about Steve James a little bit more in this episode because he's not only great in, in martial artsy type movies, but he's pretty much great in everything. And I think is overshadowed by a lot of people. But I, I do want to know what David Bradley is up to. I think that would be a fun interview if we could ever get a hold of him. I would love to talk to him. Steve James is, now I don't mean this in a literal sense, but is the Vietnam veteran in every movie. Can you think of one movie Steve James has been in where he's not playing a nom vet? Can you think of one movie he's been in where he's, like, not shirtless for 60% well, I, of it? I actually think that's probably contractually obligated. Because when my girlfriend and I were watching the American Ninja <laughs> 3 movies, a, a ninja's confronting him at one point, and I think it's the third one. He he literally just takes his shirt off and sets it down, and I'm like, <laughs> just that was literally just going, look at my pecs, baby. Yeah, yeah, I, I think at that point it's just he liked uh, showing off, and hey, whatever, more hey, power hey, to hey, the guy. if you have the pecs, you do it. When my girlfriend had never seen From Beyond before... So when I got that Empire mm. box set, I was showing her from beyond, and I mentioned Barbara Crampton, who, from everything I've heard, is one of the nicest, most down-to-earth people on the planet, okay? Barbara Crampton's in this, and she, you know, gets naked in the movie quite a bit, and I'm like, she tends to take her top off in all of the movies, and my girlfriend, she goes, well, she does have the boobs for it, you might as well. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of like the Steve James but thing. So did, got so the did Max, Ken... Do it. 
If you got the pecs, do it. Absolutely. You know what? If, if you want to do it, do it. And I, I have a theory and I've had a theory since I was a, a kid because obviously I was watching a lot of these movies and I was also playing games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Do you think Steve James might have been the inspiration for Jack Spriggs? Because he kind of looks like him. Well, I think, you know, Jean-Claude was the obvious and literation for John yes. Cage. You know. Well, Mortal Kombat was going to be a blood sport game. So I think a lot of these, like, the fighters in the games were kind of like martial arts, like either B to Z grade uh, echelon dudes that they were kind of like, let's kind of make this guy look like this dude. You know, for all we know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero were meant to be like Shokasugi. Like, so it's, I don't think it's at all crazy to think that maybe Steve James is the inspiration I would, for Jax. I really like to think. That Shao Kahn was going to be Sonny Chiba. I really just want to think that. <laughs> That'd be f***ing awesome. So then why do you think we don't have these kind of guys anymore? Or, or not even guys. We have Cynthia Rothrock. There are other female action chicks out there. Why do you think this market, I mean, really in the early 2000s, like when DVD came in, I'm not blaming it on DVD, but just at that time, this sort of direct-to-video action movie really took a downturn. Because, like, you know, this is the same era where Charles Bronson's doing Canadian TV miniseries and all this. He's not doing action movies. Why do you think that right around that time, this whole market just sort of dried up? Well, markets just dry up. I think it's as simple as that. Like, action was really big for a time, especially in the 80s and the early 90s. So you had a lot of these direct-to-video movies mimicking it. Now, I don't necessarily agree that it's not as big as it used to be. I just don't think there's as much of a venue to go see it. I mean, you used to have video stores you could go to and just go to the action aisle, and you'd see all these new action dudes, at least at that time, that nobody had seen before, like Oliver Grenier, like uh, Lauren Avedon, like Shokasugi, like Michael Dudikoff, like David Bradley. All these guys were there on the shelves for you to pick up and take home with you and enjoy their movies. There are still lots of guys that Michael are doing Jai this. White being um, the best. You, you've got Michael Jai White hmm? being one of the best. Oh, Michael Jai White's amazing, but not even him. Michael Jai White, you, you've got Scott Atkins, uh, you've got Tony Jaw, who's still making movies. Christ, I'm I'm gonna I'm about to butcher his name. Iko Weiss. Okay, not every one of his movies is good. I'm sorry that that, that Mark Wahlberg one, but blew, he's good. But he is great. Anytime he does like a more kind of low budget uh, martial arts type movie, he's I, really I, really I good in like, it. And and he's usually working with the likes of Scott Atkins and and Michael Jai White and and people like that. And he's awesome. He's got a great look to him. He's got a great he presence. He's got really good acting ability. Okay. Yeah. We've got these more modern ones that, like you said, are still out there. And I'm not saying like the Michael Jai Whites and the mm. Scott Atkins, but you've got the sort of, I'm going to call them the wannabes, the modern editing techniques take over. Where you, you, you look at like the Raid movies, mm -hmm. there's maybe two minutes of an uncut fight scene. You can see the actors are doing it. And then you have the modern ones where oh, it's there's amazing. 37 edits in a 25-second fight scene, and you're like, oh, my God, these guys don't know how to f how to fight on film, do they? Yeah, it looks like uh, the first season of Iron Fist. Yeah, it... Anybody that's uh, listening to our episode, I'm sure, is, uh, is, is getting that kind of nostalgic feeling of wanting to watch these sorts of direct-to-video action films. And maybe they're thinking about, well, are there still movies like this? And yes, there's one that actually just came out that I thought was excellent, and it features a lot of the people we just mentioned, the likes of of Michael Jai White, of Scott Atkins, guy whose name I unfortunately can't pronounce very well who's in the Raid movie, Tony Jaw, Triple Threat. 
and it's awesome. And it has a lot of nice, just lingering action scenes. They let the stunt work do the work for them. There's good action in it. There's good shootouts in it. And you've just got all these awesome, awesome motherfuckers that are doing the type of stuff that dudes like Steve James and Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley and Shokasugi were doing back in the late 80s and early 90s. So there absolutely still is a market for this. You just kind of got to look for it. Well, speaking of what people got to look for, where would they look for Peter? Not hard to find. I'm on Twitter and Cinematica on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, of course, on 1201beyond.com. And it's not just my show or this show. It's other shows you can check out and lots of merchandise, obviously, on Patreon and Cinematica, where I'm begging for money. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Turned out the
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.